Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to meet this morning, to, to live up to the calling of Hebrews chapter 10 this morning, to encourage one another, to, to be reminded of our need of the gospel, and to be encouraged by each other's presence. And so this morning, as we begin our study again on parenting, as we pick it up, Lord, as we, as we talk about this idea of, of the blessing of children, I pray that you would, Lord, that you would use your word to speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I told you last week I would begin with questions again this week. Anybody got questions from the last couple weeks? Okay, then I have a question for you based on last week. Based on last week, um, those of you who currently are parents in the room, what did you learn about your parental tendencies? What did you learn about your parental tendencies when you when you did evaluation? When you when you are you are you uh, are you a legalistic parent? Are you a licensed parent, or are you a grace parent? Yes. Yeah. Well, you don't want to give them the playbook. You don't want to give them the whole, yeah, you don't want to give them all the secret sauce because then they'll figure out how to go around. No, teasing. No. Good. 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 What'd you, what'd you learn? Troy. All, there's a lot of different factors involved in it, aren't there? If your spouse has worked up with one of your children, you may tend to be a more, um, you know, tend towards more license or whatever, but if your spouse has worked up, you might get, you might get a little more heated, right? You might. Um, have you figured this out with parenting? Um, you know, I understand that there are situations and and God gives grace for those where it's a single parent. But if you are married and parenting, have you figured out that, that, that your marriage, if your marriage isn't solid, your parenting will not be solid? Have you figured that out? If your marriage isn't working, your parenting's not going to work? Kids, I don't care if they're little kids. Kids have radar and they know. They know if there's something going on with mom and dad and they know how to exploit it. They do. Or, or just their very actions will expose what's going on with mom and dad, right? And so, so in, in all of this with the parenting, don't ignore the fact that if you're not taking care of your marriage, if you're not tending to your marriage, if you're not investing in your marriage, then your parenting is going to suffer greatly. As you looked at your parenting... Did, did you find that you are a knee-jerk reaction away from the way that you were parented? Ashley, you're shaking your head, yes. Be careful with knee-jerk reactions, though. Can you go too far the other direction, whatever, whichever way that is? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, any other questions? Any other thoughts from the last couple weeks? Matt. I was wondering, you, you, you kind of mentioned, you don't 
Do you feel? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, if it, it, it even happens if both of you are working and one gets home before the other, whatever. If you're not, if you're not communicating first before you're interacting with your children, a lot of chaos can happen, right? Can it? If you, as husband and wife, are not communicating, a lot of chaos can happen real quick. Um, I mentioned this, I think it was two times ago, maybe it was even earlier than that. Um, the first thing that you should do when the first time that you, the two of you see each other, even if you have little children, even if you have <laughs> little twins who are 15 months old who are running for their daddy, um, <laughs> the first thing you should do as a husband and wife when you see each other is do what? What did I say? You, you, you ought to go embrace one another, kiss one another. You ought to show that, that the marriage is the priority. You got to show that. Why is that so important for your children? First of all, it's important for your spouse, is it not? It's important for your spouse. Uh, some of you in this room are stay-at-home moms. Um, do you need to be reminded by your husband that you are of great value because the world doesn't treat you like you're of great value, right? How many of you had that conversation, oh, you just stay at home? Like, what? Okay, as a, as a husband, you ought to be showing your wife how valuable that she is, and you, you're sending a message to your children as well, right? Um, that's, that's vitally important. If you're not in the habit of doing that, then, then that's something, you set a reminder on your phone, man. I mean, if, if, if that's what it takes, do it, because it's that important. It's that important. Those of you in this room who, aren't, who, who don't have children yet, you need to be developing that habit now, because it's not just going to develop whenever your kids come. Um, so, what else? Lose your good. What else? Yeah, part of showing grace to your children is, is doing what God does. Does God continually remind you of your sin? Who's the accuser? Who, who does the Bible say is the accuser? It's Satan. And, 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 and we're not necessarily going back and accusing our children, but if we continue to dredge up their past failures, their sins, it's almost like they feel like they're being accused. Okay? And so part of grace-filled parenting is when you deal with the issue, and, and yes, there, there is pain involved. Maybe it's physical pain. Maybe it's, maybe it's the pain of losing a privilege or something like that. We don't continue to compound that pain by, by verbally, you know, reminding our children over and over, right? Now, let me qualify that, and I'll get to you, Dave. How many of you have children, let me just use this one because this is a fairly common one. How many of you have children, and please don't name your children, who, who are, you know that they bend the truth? It's, it's, a, it's a common thing, they bend the truth, okay? So there's a way to handle that without, okay? 
so if you have a, you have a child who, who, is, who pay, plays fast and loose with the truth, okay, is that an important thing to teach them that truthfulness is so important? Okay, and you might find yourself going back over and over to that child and saying, you know you always are telling me a lie. Now, is that the way to handle that? Or do you go to them and say, okay, I want you to think clearly, make sure that you're telling daddy the truth. Is there a difference there? Okay, and what I'm saying is just even our words are important there. Our words are so important because we do, just like you and I have sins that we wrestle with, our children have sins that they wrestle with, right? Okay, and so when you're dealing, when you're dealing with your child, one of the things that it's easy to do is become very self-righteous as a parent and act like I've never dealt with besetting sins before. I never wrestle with sins. Get this figured out, kid. You know, you know you play fast and loose with the truth, okay, right? So, so it takes a little bit of humility. Dave. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Troy's point right there. Troy's point. Yeah. That's just a natural fact, too, and that's a natural fact, and my children will vehemently tell you this is, the younger kids always got away with more than the older ones did. Yeah. Yeah. I tell my older children, you know, God just blessed you more because he gave you more strength because we made all our mistakes with you and we were perfect with the last ones. Or not. Um, <laughs> which brings up a point. When it comes to applying discipline to our children, how many of you have multiple children? When it comes to applying discipline to our children, does that require that we are just fair across the board? If, 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 if I smacked one child's hand for doing this, does that mean I have to smack every other child's hand for doing that? Why not? Because I would agree with you, why not? You need to know your child well enough to know some children, you can just give them the look and they are, they'll like, right? How many of you have children like that? Or how many of you wish you had children like that? You just give them the look and I mean, they're reduced to, you know, to this sobbing, blubbering, you know, pool of jello in the corner for the next two hours. You also have children who like when you smack their hand, they'll put it back out like, can you do that harder? Like, come on, that didn't even phase me. Right? You have, you have that extreme, right? And so you as a parent, we as parents, one of our chief duties is to understand our children. Does God understand how to discipline you? I, I use this phrase, and I don't mean this to sound vindictive or mean, but it's just when it comes to disciplining our children, we have to hit them where it hurts. Okay, for those of you who are listening to this, I'm not talking necessarily about physical abuse. That's not at all what I'm saying. But do you understand what I mean by hitting them where it hurts? Some of your children, just a second, Miranda, some of your children, if you took away, let's say you took away their, their favorite books, or you took away books from them, some of your kids would be like, praise God. Yeah, 
most of our children, you take away their video games and you would think that life has ended, right? Right? So the idea of, of hitting them where it hurts is punishment, because here's the thing. As they get older and they get out in life, are the consequences for, for wrong actions, do they get pretty severe? I mean, can they lose jobs? And, and I mean, and, and, and if, you, if we spend all our time just like, well, I disciplined my child, I told them no every time, guess what? They're going to go into the workforce and they're going to have a boss who doesn't care about saying no. He's going to be like, get this done. And if you don't get it done, you're out of here. Right? And so we have to be preparing our children for that. Anything else? These are good. All right. I want to talk about something that's really kind of like, you're going to be like, are you serious? Especially those of you who have young children. This week's big idea is, yes, you're supposed to enjoy your children. Okay? Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and let's start there. In a section that I will admit is dealing with, with finances and money, um, he's dealing with rich people, and, and verse 17, he, it, it, 1 Timothy chapter 6 it has to do with this idea of monetary matters and money and things. Paul makes this statement in the middle of that at the end of verse 17. He says this, that we're to set our hopes not on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides everything, or some versions say all things for us to enjoy. Okay? So, this verse has been abused by health and wealth gospel people. I don't even need to go into that. But if, 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 if you believe, and do you rightly believe that children come from God? Do you believe that? Okay. Has there been one baby born that God was like, oops, I wasn't intending for that to happen? No. So children come from God. Are children included in all things here in this verse? Are they? So, so God has given you your children to enjoy. Let's just be real honest here this morning. A lot of parenting isn't enjoyable. Anybody honest with me on that? A lot of parenting is not enjoyable. But it's not contradictory to say that God gives us our children for us to enjoy them. And it's really, really, really easy to get so caught up in the daily grind of raising our children that we don't take time to enjoy them. Think about all the things that you're responsible for for your children. Give me some. What are some of the things you're responsible for for your children? Feeding them. What else? Clothing them. What else? Giving them safety. What else? Changing diapers. Yeah, they're, they're, they still haven't developed a child yet that will change its own diapers. What else? Hmm? Hygiene. Education. How about their spiritual development? Is that a huge weight, parent? What else? Manners. Yeah. Yeah. You, you might have the cleanest kid in the world, but, but they, they might be the rudest kid in the world, right? Okay, what else? What else are you responsible for for your kids? How many of you are getting depressed just thinking about that list that we already named right here? Like going, failure, failure, failure. Okay? 
It's a lot, right? And in the middle of all of that that we're responsible for, God says this, and now PD stands up there because he has adult children and he doesn't get it now. He, he doesn't, he's so senile, he doesn't remember what it was like to have young kids. Yes, God intends for you to enjoy your children. Does that seem far-fetched to you? How many of you grew up in a home where there's a lot of laughter? How many of you didn't and wished you did? Yeah. Yeah. Now, enjoyment doesn't mean just laughter. But, but I want you to think about this. If there isn't a lot of laughter in your home, what message are your children getting? What are they getting? That life is really hard, and we're just all here. Yeah, my mom and dad are Christians, but they pretty much, they're just suffering for Jesus all life. Right? And Jesus said what? I came that they might have life and have it what? Abundantly. Should that influence our families as well? Should our families, even though our little children aren't believers yet, and we're praying by God's grace they will become that, but shouldn't our children see what abundant life looks like in our homes? Hello. Is, is that, should that be the ideal? Does that, is that influenced by how much money you have? Is that influenced by, by the things you have? Is that influenced by what neighborhood you live in, what zip code you live in? What influences whether our children see abundant life or not, and joy that comes out of that abundant life? What influences them? It's how you, as parents, live in front of your children. How many of you have children that tend to just carry the weight of the world on their shoulders? Do you have those? Where did they learn that? Where did they learn that? They learned that from their dad, right? Where did they learn that? Come on, indict yourself, guys. Where did our children learn to carry the weight of the world on their shoulders? They learned it from their parents. I, I, I can point you to people who, I, who are classic worriers. You know anybody who's a classic worrier? Classic anxious person. Guess what kind of children they typically raise? Kids are afraid of the boogeyman around every corner. Why is that? Why is that? Because if you worry about life and you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders, you can't hide that from your children. And it starts when they're really young, doesn't it? It starts when they're really young. So there's so many things that we're, thank that we're responsible for, and then God lobs this psalm at us in Psalm 127. Let's go there. Psalm 127. This is like one of those classic parenting pa passages of Scripture. Some of you are wondering, like, we got to number seven in our, in, of, this, of this time together, and we're just now getting to this. 
And this is actually one of the most misapplied passages of Scripture. Psalm 127, I have heard it preached. I, I actually just pulled up a message this week of somebody who I would actually have a lot of respect for as a preacher and listen to him talk about this. And he basically made this psalm all about, this is why you need to have like 88 kids. And if you're not having, you're not having like, you know, like children in the double digits, you're not doing it right. Basically, this is what this guy said. And this is a guy that if you picked up his parenting book and you read it, you'd be like, that guy is really solid. And he does write parenting books. I don't think good parenting has to do with quantity as much as it does with quality. Who makes babies, church? God does. You could set out to have a dozen babies and you may only end up with two. Right? Right? Okay, so let's read Psalm 127 and let's unpack it. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, or those who build it, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to late to rest, eating the bread of anxious sleep or anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So, I've also heard this psalm preached, and it's like it's a two-part psalm. There's verses 1 and 2 that have nothing to do with children, and then verses 3 through 5 do. Is that typically how the psalms work? Is this all one big idea? This is all one big idea, okay? This is all one big idea. This is David's song about his son Solomon, okay? This is David writing about Solomon, okay? And he begins with a couple of, of illustrations in verse 1. And, and the illustrations are of, of house building and city watching, Okay? Now, the one we can understand, house building, we see it happen all the time, right? We see house building happen all around us. We're not, we're not too familiar with the idea of city watching because that's not the culture that we're in, right? But, but typically, we're talking about this old Bible time city with a wall, and you had watchmen who are watching the walls at night, and they're, and they're paying attention to make sure that there's no threat that, that, uh, that approaches the city, right? So, according to verse 1, is it just hard work that, that guarantees success? What's, what, what's going to determine success or not? Hmm? It's more of a question of who's going to determine success, right? So does that mean when it comes to parenting that we just throw up our hands and we're like, okay, um, you know... Here's all the food you're going to need. Here's some clothes for you. Just go in that room and just do whatever you want in there. Is that what this verse is implying here? What determines whether a family is going to be successful or not? Do you have to work hard as a parent? But ultimately, whose hands is it in? You ever talk to somebody who's even older than me, who has multiple adult children, and you ever talk to them and just seen the pain in their eyes because none of their children are walking with the Lord? 
and yet these are solid, a couple that, that raised their children going to church, they raised their children reading their Bibles, they raised their children to, to grow up and be responsible people, and none of them are walking with the Lord. You ever looked at somebody like that and looked at the pain in their eyes? Why is it there? And what is the assumption we often make? No one wants to say it because no one wants it said of them. But we make this assumption, yeah, everything looked good on the outside, but man, something must have really gone wrong in that home. We make that assumption. Anybody honest enough to admit that? Yeah, we make that assumption. Can I say something that, that I don't want to scare you too much, but I do want to put the fear of God in you? You can do all the right things as a parent. You can get an attendance ward for coming to church if we ever gave those out. Little gold stars on your chart and always bringing your children here and making sure you got here five minutes before Sunday school began. And every, you know, every VBS and every, every, you know, every Awana session, all this stuff, you can make, you could get your kids here perfectly for that. You could have the perfect plan for, for 18 years of quiet time with your children, you know, family altar and do it right faithfully for 365 days a year. And when your kid turns 18, they could go out and sell drugs. But you're like, I did it right. Does that scare you? It should a little bit, but it also should drive you to your knees because it also should, should also free you from the idea that you have to perform for your parents or for your children to succeed. If you're of the idea that you have to perform for your children to succeed, you need to repent of that now and turn from it. Can you perform so much for your children that you can guarantee that they'll walk in the ways of the Lord? No, you can't. Look at verse 1. What's the repeated phrase? What's the, th what's the three words that are repeated? Unless the Lord. Unless the Lord. Put that in front of just about anything you want to do or anything you want to do in your life. I want to be successful in my job. I want to, I want to, I want to you know, be able to do this unless the Lord, unless the Lord, right? So ultimately, if you're going to enjoy your children, you need to be able to rest in the fact that they're primarily not yours, but first, whose children are they? There's, they're God's and he's given them to you, Right? Verse 2, the psalmist David points out, this is not an excuse to sleep until 8.30 every morning, by the way. But what is he, what, as you read verse 2, what is he saying here? He's saying, it's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Some of us, we live life this way. I've got to do something else. I've got to try a little bit harder. I've got to do. I got to. I got to. I got to. I got to. And what does he say here? 
It's emptiness. That's what it means to be in vain. It's total emptiness. And many of you, especially parents of young children, you feel it. Some of you are resonating with this and you're so afraid to admit it because we're in church and it's Sunday. It is an empty pursuit. And every time you turn around, there's another crayon mark on the wall or there's another, there's another thing that's not done. And there's another Instagram page to compare myself to of the perfect mom. And you're feeling the emptiness of it. Repent of trying to do it in your own strength. And I mean that very, repent of it. It's sinful. Yes, I said that. Look at verse 2. It's an empty pursuit to think that you in your strength can do what God says he's in charge of. Didn't he not just tell us in verse 1 that he's in charge? How many of you have older children and you've spent sleepless nights over those children? I'm the only one in this room. You're a bunch of liars, some of you. (laughs) You had sleepless nights over your kids? Some of you have young kids and you've had sleepless nights. It's a totally different experience. I'll take the sleepless nights of a young child over the sleepless nights over an older children. Anybody with me on that? Those are child's play compared to when they get older and you're not sleeping. But what does God say about those sleepless nights, according to verse 2? What's he say about those? By the way, many of you that are having those sleepless nights, you caused your parents sleepless nights too. Just to throw that in there. What's God say about those sleepless nights? What aren't we doing if we're having sleepless nights? We're not putting confidence in him because what does he give? What does he give? He gives rest. And we're not putting our confidence in him. And typically when we're not putting our confidence in God as parents, where are we typically putting our confidence? In our ability, right? It's in my ability. And let's be honest It's easy to do that. I don't want to just hammer us, but it's really easy to do that. When you get a call from the principal's office, how many of you enjoy that call? Like, hey, we need to talk to you about little Dan. Like, oh, this is going to be great. Right? When you leave that, or whenever you have to talk with the Sunday school teacher or the children's church leader about about the way that your daughter was just like picking boogers and sticking them on somebody else, you enjoy that as a parent? As a parent, what are you doing? Most of us are like, I'm a total failure. I've got to find a new church now. Right? Right? Because we, we, put, we put that extra pressure on ourselves, do we not? So a successful family isn't just a simple matter of putting in the hard work. But, but there's some things in this psalm that should bring us peace as parents. What are they? You dig them out. Tell me what they are. What, what does Psalm 127 say about being a parent that should bring us peace? You're not going to find it on the handout. I didn't write it there for you. I'm asking you to do the work. 
What should give you peace as a parent? You don't even have to go past verse 1 for one of them. If I don't have to put in the anxious toil, who's going to put in the anxious toil for me? Who's doing it? God is. Okay? Now, do I have to join in in what he's doing? But ultimately, whose hands do I need to leave my child in? I got to leave them in God's hands. Be honest with me. That's not easy, is it? It's not easy. When your teenage son or daughter comes to your room, and they never come early in the day, by the way, have you figured this out? They don't come, they come to like at 10.30 when you're practically falling asleep, right? And they come in and they say, can I talk? That's code for you're not going to be able to sleep for the next two hours, right? Am I right, parents? That's code for, can, when they say, can I talk, that means like, okay, okay, better sit up here, Right? But when they leave your room with their eyes wet with tears because no one understands them and they're losing friends at school and, they're, and, they're, and, and everything seems to be falling apart, does it not just break your heart? And as a parent, what is your tendency to want to do? I got to get in there and fix it. And really, what do our kids need to see us do? They need to see us taking them to the throne of grace. They need to see us taking them to the throne of grace. And, and can I make this point now? If you're not doing it with your children when, when they're young, it's going to seem really awkward when they're teenagers to take them to the throne of grace. Do you catch that? If you're not doing it now when they're young, if you're not teaching them that, you know, we sing this song, and we've sung it several times in our church. It's one of my favorites, Jesus Strong and Kind. Remember that song? Jesus said that when I'm weak, I can come to him. If we're not teaching our children that early on, guess what? They're going to be the kind of kids who are like, you know what? I can be tough, and I can be like mommy and daddy, and I can get through life, and I don't need Jesus. So you continue on now in the psalm. He says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. What's it mean that children are a heritage? Some of you got study Bibles. You're cheating right now. What does it say? Some of you are on your phones. you cheating even worse. What's it mean? Hmm? They're a reward. They're a blessing. Yes, your moody 16-year-old daughter is a blessing. Your rebelling 14-year-old son is a blessing. Your throwing up 2-year-old toddler is a blessing. They are. They're a blessing. God has chosen to give them to you. So here's the question. Is God all wise? Does he know all about you as a parent? Does he know your strengths and your weaknesses? Does he know your abilities? And yet he entrusted to you the child that he gave you? What does God know then? He knows that by his strength in your life, you can parent that child well. 
Am I right? Hello, am I right? Is that a true statement? Like, I think he made a mistake with this one. He dropped him off at the wrong womb. No, he knows. So, children are a heritage, they're a blessing, they're, they're a reward from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Then he launches into this thing, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Do you find it interesting? Do you find it interesting, children of one's youth? What's the tendency with couples today when they're having children? What's the tendency? They wait till it's convenient, and they don't start their families till they're a lot older, and then they're like, man, this is so great having kids, and then by the time they're 50, they're like, what was I thinking? Right? Now, God makes babies. I understand that. It's interesting that he talks about children of one's youth, and he goes on, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them, which means we should have like 88 kids again, Right? God makes babies. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Let me bring something to bear here that's becoming more and more relevant in my own situation. One of the blessings of your children are is if you raise them to love Jesus and if God works in their heart, and even if he doesn't, but if you raise them to be good citizens and responsible and you love them and you enjoy them is, one day they're going to be the ones who are caring for you. Look at, this, look at this with me. What are arrows intended for? How many of you, how many of you guys regularly shoot arrows. Sam, what do you use an arrow for? Jimmy, what do you use an arrow for? Just, just for target practice, right? To hunt. You're, you're intending harm to something, right? Because you want to eat whatever you harm, right? Or you just want to put a big trophy on your wall, right? But you intend harm with the arrow, right? Sam, do you intend harm with your arrows? Is something going to have to die because you shot an arrow? Okay. So you intend harm. Troy, you shoot arrows, right? Do you intend to harm something with those arrows? Absolutely. Okay. Arrows are weapons, are they not? Children are weapons. Like, some of you are like, I know. They're like heat-seeking guided missiles, right? That's not what he's talking about here. Children are weapons. When do you, as a parent, need a weapon in your life? As you get older, are you going to need some weapons? Some of you don't want to think about that. But as you get older, are you going to need some weapons? Are you? This is what he's talking about here. He says, look at the end of verse 5. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Okay? Think about old time, old, you know, old Testament cities, these walled cities. They had gates. What was the importance of gates? What happened in the gates? Decisions were made. Business was transacted. It was even the place where legal matters were handled, right? And what the psalmist, what David is saying here is, 
God blesses us with children. We do everything we can in our power. We trust them to God's care. And one day, they're going to be the ones who defend us and take care of us. Which is really foreign to the American way of the way we do things. What do we typically do with our elderly? You go fend for yourself. We'll let the state fight for you. You know, I often kid with my kids about this, but there's some truth in it. I'm like, I want to be nice to you because one day you may have to change my diapers. But let's be honest. Do you want your kids to care for you when you get old enough? If God blesses you to an old age, do you want your kids caring for you? Or do you want just some random person who's getting paid minimum wage to take care of you? What do you want? I at least want kids who will make sure that the random person taking care of minimum wage, all of a sudden you get close to them now, don't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Liam, you're number one, man. All of a sudden... (laughs) I noticed that, Corey. I see what you're up to. Don't fall for it, Liam. (laughs) At the very least, I want my kids to love me enough that they're making sure that the minimum wage worker isn't taking taking advantage of me. Right? So, think about your home. Just... Think about your home for a second. Is it a place that your children, now I'm not saying it's not perfect, is it a place your children enjoy being a part of? Shouldn't it be? Let's talk about some practical ways to make your family a joy to be a part of. Okay, number one, these are practical. I didn't even put Bible references next to them because these are just practical You can find scriptural principles for these. I'll leave you to do that. Number one, show your love. Be affectionate. Some of us, if we were not shown affection as children, it's hard for us to be affectionate. I can count on one hand the number of times from the time that I was 1 to 18, I can count on one hand the number of times my father told me he loved me. That influences the way I parent. There is rarely a time, and I'm not saying I'm better than any of you, but I'm just being honest with you. There is rarely a time that one of my children doesn't walk out the door to get in the car, which is, a, which is just a weapon when you think about it, that I don't say to them, I love you. Okay? Which, by the way, back up to something. If you want your children to take good care of you when you're older, what should you be doing with your parents now? You better be taking care of your parents. They better be seeing you honoring your parents. Are some of our parents hard to honor? But do you want your children to make excuses for, like, oh, well, my dad's really hard to honor. I don't want to take care of him. Do we, do we as adult parents, do we need to be taking care of our, our parents well? Yeah, I, I almost forgot that point. But if you're not actively taking care of your parents well now, don't expect your children to do the same for you. Okay, back to this. Sorry. 
Number two seems like an obvious one, and that's like, duh, Pastor Dan. Devote time to your family. Can I submit to you? Sitting in the same room with all of you scrolling on social media is not spending time together. It's not. We blame the kids for being so attached to their phones. What I have found is it's usually the adults who are the ones who are attached to their phones. Lock it up, man. Devote time to your family. And, and don't expect like, okay, we're going to make, you know, like, okay, PD said it, this is the week, we're going to invest time in the family. Don't expect your children to be, oh, this is just amazing. They're going to be like, what are you doing here? You never want to talk. What is this? If you haven't developed that habit, it's going to take a while to develop that habit, right? Devote time to your family. There's so many things fighting for our time, though, right? But, but don't be the parents that add to the, th- like, let's not add to it by adding, like, oh, I'm going to start this side gig, and I'm going to do this, and oh, I'm going to make my kids a part of that. No, that never works. Don't crowd your life so full and just try to make your kids fit into the little spots on the corners. Intentionally make time for them. Why? If you're not intending to do it, will you do it just haphazardly? And by the way, does that mean that you always have to schedule something that's going to cost money? Because some of you are thinking that's what that means, right? It's like we got to go to Kosai every week, and then the zoo, and then the... No. You'll go bankrupt, man. Sit with your kids. There's these things called board games. Learn how to do those. What you're going to find... I'm like, well, I'm not a game player. I don't like playing games. But you got kids who do enjoy playing games. There is nothing more fun than playing shoots and ladders with a five-year-old. Some of you are like, you're an idiot. <laughs> okay, then Candyland. Anybody, any idiot can play Candyland. Right? And what you do when you're doing that is you learn your children. You learn a lot about your children. You learn how devious they can be. You learn, you learn which ones are competitive. You learn which ones are not so competitive. You learn which ones are like, I don't care. Yeah, sure. You know? Yeah. And as your kids get older, you play Monopoly with them, and you always play to crush them and win. Right? Devote time to your family. Flip over. Number three. Be available. It is challenging with teens, isn't it? When do teens want us to be available, parents? Whenever they want, and usually it's at the most inconvenient time. It's that one time when you have planned a date with your spouse, and you go out, and and you get a phone call from the kid, hey, can we talk? I'm like, they just brought the appetizer, dude. Right? You got to be available, But, but get the second sentence. This begins when your children are young. Fourthly, communicate well. It's not just between spouses. Have you figured this out? Those of you who have multiple children, your children communicate differently with you. 
Some of them, they don't need to say a word to you. They just want you to sit with them or they want you to put them in the front seat of the car. With, I know it's not safe, you know, and, uh, you know and they, but, but they just want you to, to have them with you, right? I will say this. My dad rarely told me he loved me, but on every weekend, my dad built houses and he was always busy. And usually Saturdays, he was working too, but every Saturday, he came and woke me up in my bedroom, dragged me out, He's like, you're coming with me to the job today. I just thought it was child labor, you know. No, he wanted me to be with him. I learned how to pick up scraps and build a fire. I built some of the biggest fires. But I did it with my dad. It's like one of the best memories I have of being with my dad. He included me. You got to pursue the conversation. Some of your kids are not going to naturally open up to you, right? Does that mean they don't have anything to say? No. You've got you to pursue that. Number six, I, it seems like really like counterintuitive to have to say this, but eat meals together without your cell phones and make it fun. Malia, what did we do at the meal table? Many times, we played the game. My kids would be like, can we play the game? This works with young kids. Like the Brown family, you're at the perfect age with your kids for this. The Randalls, you're at a perfect age for this. We would each assign somebody else in the family and we would play that part. And, and I mean, it got, it, got, it got a little tense at times. I do not act that way. Well, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yeah, everybody, can I, she's not in the room, is she? Everybody wanted to be Alyssa because Alyssa was always the weepiest one, so she was the easiest one to play. <laughs> Malia's shaking her head, yes, yes. So anytime, <laughs> if you tell her that, I'll deny it, okay? Play the game with him. Figure out ways to enjoy that time together. How many of you are typical meal times are like 15 minutes, we're out of here and we're done? It's not because of the quality of your cooking, moms or dads. It's because the conversation isn't there. It's because the conversation isn't there. Number seven, create together. Some of you are the artsy types. Some of you are the non-artsy types. Create together. There's a lot of different ways to create. When you're creating, you're creating together. And what you're teaching your kids is, yeah, that's pretty cool the way you do that. I have no idea what you've drawn, but that's pretty cool. Right? I mean, it's a very rare child that doesn't like to draw something. Right? Create together. Play games together. Make memories. Tell stories. How many of you had interesting things happen to you in your childhood? Have you ever told your kids? Some of you are like on gag orders from your wife, do not tell that story. That's the story that probably needs to be told over and over and over. Your children need to learn about you as much as you need to learn about them. My kids are like, yeah, Dad, we've heard that story. I, I, my father-in-law, though, my father-in-law is 85 years old, 
and he tells stories. I mean, he's a gifted storyteller, and he had an amazing life. Just last night, I learned a new one from my father-in-law. This guy, his health is failing, but he's sitting there in his chair, and he's like, yeah, I remember writing a report on the Roman, the Roman Empire. Roman Empire, some of you know that's a thing, you know, that's my Roman Empire. Some of you are like, I have no idea what that was, but anyway. My father-in-law, for his senior paper on the Roman Empire, the guy made the mistake of saying it can be one to 2,000 words. So he wrote, he actually wrote his paper, but he wrote a paper that he turned in. And his report was two words, it was. <laughs> you can't fail him on that, can you? Was it factual? He said it could be one to 2,000 words. So I've given you some things to do, but I've also given you a reality check. Look under reflection this week, and we'll end with this one. If your child's 10 years old, 3,650 days have gone. Ouch. Ouch. And that means you only have 2,920 left. What are you going to do with those days by God's grace? Does it start when they become teenagers or does it start today? It starts today. Here's what I want you to do this week. Look at the third one down there. When was the last time you took the time to figure out what your child was thinking instead of the thinking this? What were you thinking? When was the last time you actually explored what they were thinking? All right. Father, thank you for giving us children. I pray that we would have hearts of gratitude and that gratitude be, would be reflected in the way that we interact with our children, the way that we love them, the way that we treat them, the way that we enjoy them. God, you've given them to us to enjoy. I pray this week that it would be a good week of enjoying our children and the families that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.